Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I want to stay with weather because joining me on the phone line is Alan O'Reilly of Carlo Weather to try to find out what we can expect from this storm, Jocelyn, which is the second named storm to hit Ireland in just three days. Good morning to you, Alan. Good morning, Patricia. And, and I appreciate you taking time out because I know how busy uh, you are. Now, this is, I believe, the 10th named storm this win- winter. We're getting them hot and heavy, aren't we, this year? We certainly are, considering how little we had last year and we had to wait till August to get one. Um, it's quite remarkable that we've had so many and coming hot and heavy on top of each other on a few occasions now. We've had a few in, in sequence very close together. Um, so yeah, we're we're already at J. So how far will we make it? I suppose. Yeah. I wonder. We could end up using all of the names for the first time ever. Now, tell me about Storm Jocelyn. What time it's expected to hit, and what we can expect from her? Yeah, so Storm Jocelyn is a pretty large system out in the Atlantic. It's bringing us pretty heavy rain across most of the country this morning. That will clear off main band of rain from the outer bands of Jocelyn will clear off after lunch, probably around 3 or 4 o'clock in Cork. Really, the rain should start to ease off. And then there will be the odd shower, but the rain will more or less clear. But the winds are going to pick up. And the yellow wind warning has been changed to go into operation now at 2 p.m. for Cork. So the winds will really start to pick up after lunch and they'll continue to get strong through this evening and into the early part of tonight. And that yellow wind warning stays in place until 2 a.m. So it's it's kind of a, a very rough evening in terms of winds. Now, again, it's the west and the northwest that will take the brunt of Jocelyn, similar to Isha, but still you're looking at gusts of, you know, up to 100 kilometres an hour, possibly in parts of the south. Um, probably not as strong as what we saw, but still, you know, in its own right, it's a fairly significant storm. And, and certainly anything that was weakened or moved or, you know, maybe hanging on after Isha, Jocelyn could be the one to give it the final blow. Yeah, and of course the the impacts of the winds are very much going to be exacerbated coming so close after Isha because some areas, for example, Alan, are still without power from Isha. Yeah, I think over 50,000 premises still without power. I mean, there was there was a significant number, 235,000 at, at peak. So in fairness, the ESB crews, that, you know, they've restored over 180,000 homes and businesses to get power, but still people without power and obviously, you know, further wind and further damage is, is going to hamper the repairs, first of all, but it could also cause some extra repairs. So it's, uh, yeah, it's not nice and it's 
you know, it's not particularly cold, but it is going to turn cooler. So, you know, if you don't have heating for a day or two, a house gets cold. Um, so it is it is kind of a, a, a tricky situation for those without power. OK, and for the people out and about driving, you need to be particularly careful uh, because of those trees that were loosened and damaged from Aisha. They actually could come down with the storm today. Yeah, that, that's the concern is that, you know, Isha done damage to, you know, trees and different things that may be just hanging on. And then, you know, the winds pick up again this afternoon and this evening and that causes more damage. So that's also going to be an extra problem coming so close together. And, you know, the thing about it is as well is, again, it's going to be the worst of it's going to be evening time when people are kind of, you know, commuting and driving home from work and stuff like that. So it's it's not a great time. If it was later in the night, it mightn't have as big an impact, but certainly you do want to take care on the roads this evening and tonight. OK, and then the rest of the week, Alan, is, is this kind of, after today it'll pass, what will what's the rest of the week look like? Yeah, so a bit of a rest by tomorrow. Um, Wednesday we'll see lighter winds and it'll be mainly dry, just the odd shower, um, but more rain on Thursday. Breezy, but not, not as significant winds. And then Friday, it looks at the moment, looks like a good day. Um, so it's kind of every second day at the moment we're kind of getting it. And the weekend... There's a risk of some more heavy rain moving into the west and the south on Saturday. Um, but it does look like a little ridge of high pressure will build in early next week and the jet stream will go a little bit further north. So that conveyor belt of storms will move north of Ireland for a few days at least. But staying unsettled and it will actually turn cooler um, as well on Thursday. So it, it will be feeling cooler with temperatures down to maybe one or two degrees at night. So. It's kind of a mixed bag. It's a bit of everything at the moment, but no significant weather after today, but no really good weather either. Okay, I'm just thinking, like, what a difference a week can make. We had you on last week talking about the big freeze, and we've gone from that to these storms. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Like, you know, Sunday morning compared to Friday morning, there was a temperature difference of 18 degrees. You know, so it's amazing to think that in two days you can have a temperature distance of 18 degrees. That's incredible. Yeah, and, you know, obviously the cold caused its own problems, but it was nice and blue skies and fresh and sunny. Um, So if we could get something in between, uh, we would be be perfect. We would be perfect. Listen, Alan, stay uh, stay safe and stay dry. Uh, And thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks very much. Good morning to you. That is the wonderful Alan O'Reilly of uh, Carlo Weather. So please be careful with uh, Storm uh, Jocelyn. And as as I say, my big fear uh, is the fact that we have so many trees that would have been loosened and damaged from Storm uh, Aisha. So you've got to be really, really careful. And remember, three lives were lost because of uh, Storm Aisha. And and two of them was a direct result of uh, trees either uh, coming down or something, you know, uh, somebody uh, crashing into uh, a tree. So you just need to be so, so uh, careful. And actually, Morris has already been on to us to say that there's a tree on the point of falling on the Cloyne Road at Scarif coming from Ballinacorra. Now, I don't know whether this was a, is, this is a direct result of Aisha at the weekend, but Morris said that lorries and buses can hardly pass under it at the moment. He said it's very dangerous and he has tried the council office, but uh, it rang out, says uh, Morris. 
So be aware of that, please, on the Cloyne Road at Scariff coming from Ballinacurra. Uh, please be very careful. And already we've, you know, people asking questions with this weather uh, weather alert that's in uh, place. People wondering, are things going ahead? Somebody wants to know, is the bingo on in Bantir tonight because of Storm Jocelyn? If somebody in the Bantir area can confirm that, because obviously if we can get as much information in on items like that to stop people from uh, making unnecessary journeys. Anne is on by text this morning. Say morning, Patricia. Morning, Anne. The refugee crisis is completely out of control. It has to stop and it has to stop now, Suzanne. The elections coming up will be very interesting. Politicians will get all the anger through the votes, says Anne. And I'm assuming what Anne is uh, talking about uh, was referenced on the news this morning. I see Owen English is writing about it in the Examiner today. And this is a protest that has been mounted outside a historic former religious property in Cork City. Reason for the protest was confirmation has come through that it's been considered as a possible accommodation centre and it is for people fleeing the war in Ukraine. Now the confirmation from the Department of Integration says that it's examining the former Dominican Fathers Retreat Centre, which is in Mayfield. But what's really interesting about this story is that that comes just days after several Cork City councillors denied the rumours. There had been rumours on social media that this building was going to be used to house either asylum seekers or to host Ukrainian refugees. But based on briefings from the City Council... And based on briefings from the owners of the building, a Fianna Gael councillor, Joe Kavanagh, and a Labour councillor, Joe Marr, uh, were among the public representatives who publicly denied rumours, and, and particularly the rumours that these unvetted males would be housed in the property. And they said, for example, Joe Kavanagh said, there are currently no plans in place to accommodate anyone in the old Dominican uh, building. He said the rumours that were circulating was 100% false, and that was based on the briefing that he had been given. And it was the same same for Labour councillor John Marr. He said he had actually spoken to council officials who had made contact with the owners of the building and they, he said the false news is incorrect and he said it's unhelpful. But then there was a statement issued yesterday saying that the department was responding to an offer of accommodation for the property and the statement said that the City Council had been consulted on the uh, issue. And I quote from that statement, discussions with the provider are at an advanced stage and a full assessment of the property is currently taking place. The statement said that Cork City Council has been consulted on the suitability of this accommodation. And then, now it hasn't been decided yet, it says, should it be deemed suitable for accommodation for those fleeing the war in Ukraine, the departments then, the community engagement team will provide detailed information in uh, direct engagements with the elected representatives uh, in advance. But really, should those elected representatives have been told that they were even looking to see if this property could be deemed uh, suitable? Now, it's understood the offer was made to the department over eight months ago, but that doesn't tie in with the news that the owners had said the building wasn't being considered. But according to the department, they've been looking at it for, or the offer was on the table for eight months. But it's not clear now when the city council was first consulted. And the news then, of course, prompted almost immediate protests by firstly a small group of people uh, on the green opposite the property. But that attendance grew uh, last night within uh, a couple of hours. There was about uh, 200 people. I mean, I saw some of the protesters saying there was up to 500 people. Others were saying there was about two. 
250. Now, the protest last night prompted calls from the Sinn Féin TD, Thomas Gould. He's looking for immediate clarity on the situation. I think he makes a valid point. He said we've got government councillors saying one thing very strongly because that's what they're being told is the truth. And then we've got a government minister saying the exact opposite. He said that's causing confusion. And when you have that kind of confusion, then you get anger within local uh, communities by failing to give clear, correct uh, confirmation. And I know for a lot of the people that were protesting last night in Mayfield, many of them local uh, people, they say, they cite examples of schools that are already at capacity and if this is for Ukrainian refugees it's going to be mothers with children in the main are going to be coming in, those children are going to need access to a school but they also say that doctor surgeries in the community uh, are already at capacity and that kind of, the thing with doctor surgeries at capacity is kind of reflected all over the country. How often have we dealt with people coming new to an area who contact us to say they can't get their name in with the GP practice and of course the knock-on effect is that many people then who don't have a GP or not on a GP uh, GP's books, they end up then if they get sick having to use South Stock, that's putting additional pressure on South Stock and then we get calls from people who are sick out of hours and they're complaining because they can't they can't get to see somebody from South Stock so it really is a vicious circle, particularly when it comes to the uh, doctors uh, and seemingly that protest now has been uh, the, the stage last night is being mounted and similar to what we've seen in other parts of the country they're going to stage a 24 hour protest uh, in Mayfield to stop people going into that centre as in Dominic's centre but as I say hasn't been absolutely confirmed they're now looking at it and if it's deemed suitable accommodation for those fleeing the war then the community engagement will start but is that a little too late? In an effort to try to identify the dogs and their owners who attack sheep, Kerry County Council have decided to map the attacks and hopefully this will help to bring more prosecutions. The move is on the foot of a motion by Castle Island area Fianna Fáil Councillor Fiannon Fitzgerald uh, who joins me this morning. Good morning to you Fiannon. Good morning, Patricia, and to you and all your listeners. Well, you're welcome to the programme. Now, sadly, I have to say I've lost count of the numbers of farmers I've spoken to over the years on this programme following sheep attacks. And it can be absolutely devastating on those farm families. What prompted you, Fionnon, to raise this motion? Was it a particular case? It was a particular case, I suppose, the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, similar to Cork, this would be a very sporadic event in Kerry. Um, it's not just the, fi- the financial loss that's involved, which is considerable, but it's also the emotional and strong trauma and upset that farmers uh, experience when they arrive to the gate in the morning to check and see are their sheep and animals okay, only to find their animals the victims of a dog attack, uh, not knowing where the dog came from not even knowing who it, what dog it was or no way of trying to help identify it. There were a number of particular cases in the Castle Island electoral area just before Christmas and it prompted me to, to sit down and say, well, look, can we look at this thing scientifically and do something about it? Yeah, and actually I was only reading the papers this morning and there was a case highlighted from Killarney yesterday morning where the farmer went out, went out and, you know, 
I, I mean, I won't even on air uh, describe some of the injuries that were inflicted on some of the poor uh, animals. But, you know, the farmer in question, Daniel O'Donoghue, is appealing to owners to keep their dogs uh, tied up at uh, night. You know, and he talks about the suffering of the animals because sheep are such nervous creatures, Fiona. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nervous. And I suppose every animal is innocent, you know, in its own way. But I mean, sheep are particularly innocent placid, docile creatures. And what I'm trying to do is that my concept is, is that if we could map the county in terms of the attacks on sheep and grade it or colour it in the same way as we would, unfortunately, with storms from, you know, from red to orange to yellow, green and back through the, back through the rainbow, if we could map it, it would help Kerry County Council identify the areas, because we haven't done it to date here, the areas where sheep attacks are most prevalent or sporadic. Then Kerry County Council and, you know, local media, etc., can get involved and highlight the issue and say, this is happening in a certain area now, call it belly, X or this, Y, or whatever it might be. And surely that would prompt owners in that roundabout area, in that circle around that area, to say, okay, I have a large dog. It's too big maybe to keep inside in the kitchen at night or, or in a room, utility room or back hallway or whatever. It's in the shed, or I think it's in the shed. I presume it's staying in the shed on top of a couple of bales of straw or, what, or something like that. But it would prompt that owner to say, listen, I need to make sure, I need to be 100% sure that my animal is being taken care of. And we can use it in that sense, to prompt dog owners, because let's hope, Patricia, that it's lack of knowledge by the, on the dog owner's yeah, part yeah, that is letting I, this happen rather yeah, than purposely letting them out. Yeah, I, I think you raise a good, a good point because, I mean, in fairness, it, you would like to think that most owners are completely unaware of what their pet dog is doing or has done. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you would hope and presume that, that they're just not aware because a dog... We've all experienced it where you, you come to a gate for the first time or to a new place and the dog comes out around your heels and the owner will say, what, Patricia, we've all heard it. He or she is harmless. I know. And you're, and you're looking at this dog, you know, around your ankles saying this to me, this is far from harmless. And I've been told by owners, come on away, Infanon, he's harmless. And I'm looking at them, you're putting me in a strain here and I don't want to cause a scene. I'm visiting you for the first time. But that dog to me is far from harmless. So what might be harm, harmless to an owner can be wild or vicious to a new human being or God forbid what it would be to uh, to uh, an innocent, docile creature like a sheep. So if we could map it, we could highlight the areas, run a social media campaign on it. And also what's critical to this is that by law, Every dog is, should, ought to be microchipped. So you could uh, zone in the resources of the relevant local authority, in my case, Kerry County Council, zone in on that area and say, listen, we're going to do a door-to-door here, asking people and encouraging people and checking to, and it's not about pulling fines or getting money out of it or anything else. It's about asking people, listen, is your dog microchipped? Are you aware of where the dog is 
every night. Yeah, it's Are about, you absolutely it's, 100%, it's, it's 100% about, sure of it? It's about responsible pet ownership. I mean, that's what this all goes uh, back to. But because of the viciousness of some of the attacks on these sheep, if you're not... I'm fearful that there must be some evidence on the dogs. They must have some blood staining on them when they go back home. Absolutely, absolutely. I've often wondered it myself. I mean, um, there must be. I mean, if you give a dog a a bit of food, a leftover of a Sunday roast, put it simply, there's going to be some trace of that around the dog. And that's only a small piece of cooked meat. I mean, if they're involved in an attack, there must be. People must be aware of what's happening. And this could surely prick the consciences of them and call on people to, to, you know, to sit up a small bit and take responsibility for their their dogs. I went a step further in it, Patricia, um, in that a farmer and every farm is monitored under the AMS or Area Monitoring System, ran by the Department of Agriculture, which is like a satellite or an eye in the sky, which monitors what's going on in terms of slurry output and proper fertilizer being put out at certain times and what crop is involved in what field. And I've been involved in it myself. I'm a part-time tillage farmer. That system is very strong and it's, it's very, very actually good thing to interact with. Now, I called, uh, put down a second motion calling on the Department of Agriculture, Food Marine, to liaise with companies that run microchipping for dogs and say, can you tweak your satellite system to bring in information like that? Now, I fully realize, and we can come back to it in a minute, that there would be GDPR issues there. But let's just move those aside for the moment. If we can move aside the GDPR issue, a farmer experiences a dog attack in an area that has been zoned as high risk for sheep attacks. He contacts, he or she contacts the Department of Agriculture the following day, very upset, saying, my sheep have experienced, I've had a dog attack on my sheep. Can you go back over the area monitoring system and look at how, uh, what dogs were in the field across the night? And with some work on technology, it should be, to my mind, be possible to bring up what numbers or regs, put it simply, each dog had in the field and approach those landowners and say, you're in a red zone area for dog attacks. You've been approached by your local authority to ensure that microchipping is done. You've been approached to to make sure that your dog is under control at all times. You haven't done this. Your dog was in a field at between two and a half to last night with a sheep attack there. Now, what have you got to say for yourself? And I think that there's, there's, there could be great merit because, in that. Yeah, because the, the biggest problem, it's very hard to get a prosecution, isn't it, against the dog owner? They're, that Therein lies Absolutely. the problem. Yeah, therein lies the problem because, you know, nobody can uh, give the time to sit in a field, you know, all night long with the lights turned off and the vehicle watching for dogs to come and get out and make noise and hullabaloo to scare them off. Nobody can afford or give that type of resource or physical energy towards it. And I think technology in this case can be our best tool and best guide around this. The area monitoring system is something as well that farmers have bought into. Yeah, it's watching you. It's watching everything that you do. But in this particular case, we could use that AMS or to protect, system to protect, to, to protect and, yeah, work, yeah. Yeah, and work for okay. the farmer rather than with the farmer. Someone just farmer. out of interest is making a point. Um, how do the farmers know that it's a dog and not a fox? I would, th- I would think that, you know, that if you visited the sheep that were attacked 
and saw the amount of damage done, which I've done and seen the photographs, etc. Um, you're talking a large animal and you're talking the attacks are particularly vicious. And I, th- I, th- I think rural, r- rural common sense would tell you that a fox hasn't an interest in that. They're more about smaller creatures, okay. rabbits and hares, things, and to try and get food for cubs coming into that time of year. But to just willy-nilly attack a sheep, a fox wouldn't get involved in it. Yeah, and of course we've heard in the past as well that if you get a, if you get a pack of dogs, you know, the dog might pick up another dog from the neighbourhood and, and pick up another one along the way and suddenly before you know it, it is a pack of uh, dogs. Uh, somebody saying cameras, etc. is certainly the way to go. The technology uh, is uh, there. Okay. Listen, uh, Fionnon, uh, thank you for that and uh, thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. No problem. Thank you, Patricia, to you and your listeners. Stay safe. The bad weather. Yeah, indeed. Same to your good self and everybody in uh, Kerry. That's uh, Castle Island area. Fianna Fáil councillor uh, Fiona Fitzgerald just putting forward a suggestion that might hopefully help uh, with uh, dog attacks on sheep because, you know, as Fiona said, it's absolutely devastating. How many farm farm families have we spoken to? It's just, it's not just the financial loss, but it's the emotional attachment that many uh, farm families have to their animals as well. Somebody was on earlier wondering, was Bantir Bingo going ahead tonight on account of a storm. Jocelyn, I've just been told that Bantir Bingo is going ahead tonight as normal. 0818 uh, Hi Patricia, I'd just like to say how disgusted I was watching RTE uh, last night. They showed I felt such little respect uh, the announcement of the death of Ian Bailey yesterday. He was tried by the courts and found innocent so everybody should let him rest in peace. Well he wasn't actually tried by the courts and never went to the courts because the DPP reckoned that there wasn't enough uh, evidence to convict him. But uh, this, there's no name on this, but this listener felt watching the news last night that there certainly wasn't a lot of respect shown for uh, Ian Bailey. Well, the newspaper coverage today, there's probably as much newspaper coverage today as there was yesterday in the death of Ian Bailey. And obviously this, uh, everybody once again talking about Sophie uh, Tuscan Duplantier. But if you're talking about respect, there certainly was respect shown at uh, Cork County Council because Ian Bailey was included alongside with others who passed away recently in the vote of confidence, um, or not confidence, the vote of condolence, my apology, which uh, is always passed. I think it happens at every uh, council meeting. Does anybody's passed away? The councillors, you know, will pass a vote of uh, condolence. And I'm assuming family members then get a letter to say that your loved one was included in a vote of condolence at a recent council meeting. So that's what happened uh, yesterday and it was the independent councillor Marcia Dalton who suggested that Ian Bailey should be included in the vote of condolence and she was supported by fellow independent councillor Frank uh, Roach. Marcia Dalton said she thought it was appropriate that the chamber uh, remark on the passing of Ian Bailey. She said all I know about the tragic case of Tuscan de Plantier is what was reported in various medias. But I do know it was a flagship tragedy of my youth and I also know that one of the fundamental principles of criminal law and and constitutionally guaranteed is that every person accused of a criminal offence is innocent until proven guilty uh, even if they've been charged. There was never, she said, enough evidence to prove Ian Bailey's guilt in the murder of Sophie, yet he lived 30 odd years of his life under the shadow of that uh, uh, guilt. And, you know, she went on to talk about the 
state handing over the files to the French authorities and he was convicted in absentia over there. So the Irish authorities were not would not enable his extradition. And she said, we obviously have no idea who was responsible for the heinous murder of Sophie Tuscan de Plantier. But should there be any chance that our state caused this man to live out 30 years of his life under the shadow of suspicion, then I think it is appropriate that we recognise this too, because she said that was a terrible tragedy. Uh, So he got included in the vote of condolences yesterday at Cork County uh, Council. And it is a procedure for councillors to suggest names to be added to the vote of condolences. Now, the custom is that those named in a vote of condolence, they're normally former councillors, they can be council workers, relatives of council workers, are other notable people who've passed away since the last meeting. So it happens at every meeting. So uh, for that listener, there was certainly respect shown at uh, Cork uh, County Council. Now, I don't know how Sophie's family would feel or will feel when they hear that a vote of condolence was uh, passed because I saw Sophie's son saying that uh, Ian Bailey entangled himself in lies and contradictions over the past 27 years and that his family now will continue to fight for truth and for justice for his mother, Pierre-Louis. Sophie's son said with Mr Bailey's death they will now they'll never hear a confession from him he made a video statement I think that was shown on the news uh, last night he said that Ian Bailey always avoided telling the truth about the murder of which beyond any reasonable doubt he knew every uh, detail so Sophie's family definitely still 100% feeling that uh, so that Sophie was murdered by uh, Ian uh, Bailey and of course we know there is a cold case review which is ongoing at the moment and will uh, continue and you know you'd like to think that from that cold case review with changes that we've had with DNA evidence and technology etc you'd like to think that for certainly for the family of Sophie, that some closure would come. I mean, certainly for Ian Bailey, if it is found that he has had absolutely the cold case review funds, that he had nothing to do with it, it will certainly come uh, too late for him. But it's one of those issues, even going through, as I say, there is column inches in the papers uh, today. And I'd say every single radio station and television programme was speaking about the death of Ian Bailey yesterday. And it's one of those stories that divides people very much into two camps. There are the people who 100% feel that Ian Bailey was uh, guilty and did get away with uh, murder. And then on the other side of that fence are the people who feel no, that Ian Bailey was innocent and he had to live under the shadow of it. His own solicitor, Frank Bottomer, attributed Ian's bad health down to the stress and the strain of living under that guilty verdict that many people placed over the head of Ian Bailey and the effect that it had on his uh, life because he was just shy of his 67th birthday. In you know, uh, today, 67 is reasonably young uh, to die. People live, thankfully, to ripe old uh, ages. So a lot of people feel, you know, the way he's had to live for the last uh, 27 years, he's been living with a, a sentence really over him uh, as well. 
0818103103. But as I say, it is just one of those cases that absolutely divides uh, people. Some of your calls, comments and texts uh, coming into the programme. Can I refer firstly to uh, a call that came in and this was with regard to yesterday's programme. Yeah, on yesterday's programme I mentioned that yet again some people in the Bushment area had contacted just to say that there's still no bus shelter for people who are travelling from the Cork-Limerick direction. If you're going the other way, Limerick to Cork and you're in Buttevant, there's a bus shelter there, but there's no bus shelter on the other side of the road. And people were bemoaning once again about the fact that we, we had gotten on before Christmas to the National Transport Authority. And they say, forget it. There's no no plans at all to put a bus shelter on the other side of uh, the street. And they cited a variety of different reasons to do with underground pipes and the cost, uh, the amount of money it would cost. And I, I, I'm sure that they had suggested last year that people could wait on the other side of the road. And then when they see the bus coming, go across the road, no, that's a very, very busy road to be negotiating. Anyway, that's prompted a listener to say, I heard you on about the fact that there's only one bus shelter in the town of Abbotsford. Well, there's actually two bus shelters in Ballyhay. There's one on either side of the road. But are you aware that there's no bus shelter in the town of Charleville? Can you find out why? that there's no bus shelters in the town of Charleville? I was unaware of that. So we have just contacted the National Transport Authority because it's the National Transport Authority that are responsible for bus shelters. I know people complain and give out and say that it's the local council. It's not. It's the National Transport Authority. So we're on we're on the case for the good people at Charleville to find out why they don't have a bus shelter. And we've been hearing on the news and I mentioned it in the last hour that a protest was mounted outside the site of the former Ennismore Retreat Centre in Mayfield after it's been confirmed that it has been looked at for Ukrainian refugees. The Ukrainian crisis temporary accommodation team are in the advanced stages of looking at the site. They haven't confirmed yet whether Ukrainians will come, but if it's suitable, their plan is that Ukrainians will move in there. But local people are saying that the schools are full, the doctor's surgeries are at full capacity and they have staged protests to stop anybody entering that retreat centre. Well, that's prompted Ray by email to say, Patricia... I am disgusted with all of these protests that are going on against housing Ukrainian refugees. What have we become in this country? Where is our compassion? Where is our welcome? It's absolutely shameful that these protests are happening uh, in a number of places around the country. These are extremely vulnerable people and many of them are willing to integrate and work in the country. Yeah, and and actually Ray is right, there's a large number of Ukrainian refugees who literally hit the ground running as soon as they came here. The first thing they did uh, was apply to work and I know there's a lot of other Ukrainian refugees who would love to work but because they've got small children there's childcare issues uh, and that but yes, uh, many of them are uh, working. 0818103103 on Ian Bailey's death. Michael says Patricia, relating to the tragic death of Sophie Tuscundiplantier in Skull and also now the tragic death of Ian Bailey. It's amazing that two different Attorney Generals didn't have enough evidence to charge him with her murder. They also checked his DNA against hers together with others which also proved negative. The 12 foot long gate that disappeared from Bandingarda station that did have blood stains on it. Where did that 12 foot long gate go? Are we going to be told that Ian Bailey 
rest in peace, stole that as well. Sophie's son, I feel, is a bit, bit rich, trying to impose his extreme Nepo- Nepolia- N- Napoleonic I was a problem with that. Napoleon, Napoleonic laws here in Ireland. Uh, keep those where they belong. Thanking you, says Michael. Yeah, and it was because of laws introduced by Napoleon that they were able to try Ian Bailey in France in absentia. We wouldn't be able to do that here because we, we don't have those type of laws. Because if somebody isn't, isn't in the country, they, they can't be tried in a court of law. But it certainly is different in uh, France. That's from Michael. Thank you for that, Michael. Hi, Patricia. I'm wondering, is the extra payment, cost of living payment for people on social welfare, is it been paid this week? That's from Maura. No, you have another week to wait. The last bonus payment of the current cost of living package will be paid to social welfare recipients during the week starting January the 29th. So it's from next uh, week. And the best rule of thumb, because we had a number of people wondering on the social welfare payment they are on, would they be getting it and who would be getting it and who wouldn't be getting it? Anyone who got the Christmas double week is entitled to this, the final cost of living payment, which means an extra double week next week for social welfare recipients. So if you got the Christmas bonus, then you'll be getting an extra bonus week next year. Now, can we talk about cash for a moment? And uh, for some people, this, you know, cash is king. We've got people who do not deal with banking online, do not even have a bank account. And we've other people who prefer to deal with cash. They prefer to budget by using cash. But of course, certainly since COVID, we've had more and more businesses who are starting to refuse cash to the point that the government now are going to have to do an intervention on it. Well, Pat was on to say that he was in a restaurant over the weekend and they had a sign up saying we do not take cash, card payment only. Now, he said there were signs up everywhere. So everybody entering the restaurant would know it wouldn't come as a shock when the bill would arrive at the end. So anyway, Pat went up to pay and he said he was paying by card. But he said what was interesting was there was a tip jar next to the card machine at the counter where Pat was paying. So so I just got him thinking, they're looking for tips in cash, but they want to be paid by card. It didn't make any sense at all to uh, Pat. And for people who do think that cash is uh, king, they certainly will be pleased to hear that supermarkets, convenience stores and pharmacies will all have to take cash. And this is under new laws resulting from public consultation on the national payments strategy, which is currently underway. Because at the moment, a business can put up a sign saying, you know, we don't take cash card only. But once these laws go through, they will not be allowed to do it. And this news also comes as third party companies who operate the ATM machines where people get their cash from may also be forced to have 10 and 20 euro notes available as the central bank will have the powers to set and impose rules on them because many people bemoan the fact that when they go to an ATM machine there'll be a sign saying this machine only gives out 50 euro notes and for somebody who might want to take 50 euro out of their bank account they are caught either to having to take the 50 euro or trying to find another ATM machine that does deal in smaller denominations. Now banks will be forced to keep a specific number of ATM machines in certain regions around the country. Now, all of these plans are actually being signed off by the Cabinet today. So hopefully after today, we'll have a little bit more detail on them. We know, for example, that there's going to be a minimum number of ATMs per 100,000 
people. But there's also going to have to be a proportion within, everyone's going to have to live within 10 kilometres of either an ATM machine or some sort of a cash service, you know, a bank or a post office, or I suppose a credit union would fall into that uh, as well. And the responsibility for keeping the designated number of ATMs, that is now going to fall on the three main retail banks. We only have three now, AIB, Bank of Ireland and a permanent uh, TSB. And the new, it's called Access to Cash Laws. It will aim to keep the number of ATMs at the same level that they were at in December of 2022. And that... uh, date is important because December of 2022 was just before the closure of Ulster Bank and KBC Bank. And I don't know about KBC Bank, but certainly Ulster Bank would have had a number of ATM machines around uh, the country. They're obviously now gone. So they are going to have to be uh, replaced in certain areas. And then we also then will have grocery shops and pharmacies. They will also be forced, they will have to accept cash as part of the laws that will be imposed. And those laws won't come in until later on this year. Now, I would find it very hard if there's any pharmacies that don't accept cash and, and particularly convenience stores as well. I think the majority are probably probably do, but maybe there are some, but they're going to enshrine it in law to make sure that it can't change, that you can't go, you can't find yourself in a situation where you're going to buy food or you're going to get your your medication and because you only deal in cash, you're not going to be able to purchase the items. Now, the central bank will examine cases where local areas have what they call ATM deficiencies and they say where particular difficulties arise in accessing cash and if needed, designated bodies will address the issue. And for the first time, third party ATM operators and cash in transit companies, they're all now going to be authorised and supervised by the central bank. And that means the central bank will be able to impose regulations on them, like they will be able to tell them that you have to stock the lower denominations. You've got to be allowed to let people take out 10 or 20 euro if that's all they want to take out. And they'll also set service uh, standards. Now, cash usage in Ireland, by the way, that has fallen uh, since before the pandemic. Uh, And if you look at the figures before the pandemic, 20 billion euro was withdrawn every year from ATMs in the state. But then fast forward to after the pandemic, that figure was down to 13.5 billion in 2022. So that's a decrease over the pandemic in about a third. People switched to using card only or online uh, payments. And ATM transactions themselves, they've also declined. They've gone from 156 million to 87 million. And again, that would have been before and after the pandemic. And the average value that is withdrawn from an ATM is about 150 euro. But I think for people, and whenever we raise the issue of cash and, you know, a cashless society, we will inevitably get people who say, no, I only like to deal in cash. There would Obviously, there's also a vulnerable cohort. There are many older people who only like to deal in cash, but it isn't just older people. There are a 
people of all ages who, who feel that they budget better when they physically have the cash in their hand whereas when they're paying on a card or on a credit card or a debit card they feel that sometimes they can overspend so they like to deal only in cash. So those new laws before the Cabinet expected to be signed off uh, today and then at some stage later on this year they will be in force. Your thoughts on that 0818 Do you think it's only right and proper that the Cabinet does put something in place to make sure that we never lose the ability they're not saying that people have to use cash but the ability to be able to use cash our cards will always be there text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Veterinary receptionist and slash office administrator is wanted for work in Kanturk uh, you can call 029 50064 Part-time sales assistant is wanted for Lunabella Boutique in Mallow. You can email a CV to Lunabella at lunabellaboutique at gmail.com or you can simply drop into the shop. Community employment positions are available in the Rathmore area. Now they're looking for a GAA field caretaker and trainee care assistants. Call or WhatsApp them on 089 2247454 and a person wanted for store and admin duties and occasional shop floor support in Mallow CVs please to sales at crystalearth.ie you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now the long awaited review of the school transport scheme is now finally complete, with West Cork Finnegale Senator Tim Lombard calling on the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, to act now to make sure there is a fit for purpose school bus scheme in place for future academic years. Senator Tim Lumbert uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. And and you're welcome uh, to the programme. Were you pleased to read that the review looks favourably on the school bus scheme's merits? Yes, I think that was very important that uh, it came down in favour that the school bus scheme needs to be um, needs to be continued and hopefully expanded. And look, there's great merit in what the actual school bus scheme does. It actually helps the labour market, helps people, you know, uh, regarding you know parents who are working, climate action is very important, and also fosters real skills for life for students that go to school. But the big issue here, as well, you know, Patricia, is trying to make sure that we have a scheme that's put in place that's going to be fit for purpose. And even though the report has been published, it's after going to the minister, we still haven't seen the report in detail. We're only reading media reports. Yeah, I was. I was going to ask the, ask you that. Has it been officially released? Released? I mean, I think um, I only came across one piece. I think it was in the in the Irish Times. It hasn't been officially released, has it not? No, no. no. Oh, okay. To the minister, and we're still trying to get a get a copy of the report to see exactly what's been proposed in this report. And look, we've been talking about this since probably February 2021 when she first announced she was going to review the scheme. There was uh, measures brought in place previously, uh, which kind of changed the scheme so slightly, but no, it made no major difference to the scheme. So what we've been looking for in our submission to the scheme was basically we wanted a new scheme put in place, which is going to be universal. We want to make sure that every child has the opportunity to get a school bus. And I think we've seen huge changes in public transportation. 
we've seen huge changes how people have you know moved towards the public transportation model we have a million people now uh, moving on public transportation every day and we have a hundred thousand if not more a hundred thirty thousand on school transportation i think we could increase that hundred thirty dramatically if we had a universal scheme itself and the big issue here is the people that are being left off the bus. And we've spoken to them every September, October, as they try to get their school bus ticket. It's a major issue for people that are just trying to... And some of these are on the school bus for three or four years, and then they're just knocked off. So we need to make sure that people are confident that they're going to have a school bus ticket for the six years that they're going to a second-level school in particular. It seems to be the one that's more affected rather than the primary level. Okay, but I but I do know that it's the review uh, is pointing out that it operates at considerable cost to the exchequer. I think the overall sum was at three hundred and forty million euro per year. I mean, if they decide to go down what you're calling for in the ideal world that it would be universal, how much more would that cost? Yeah, and like it's going to be expensive, absolutely. But if you see that the actual changes in public transportation that we've minimised the cost, in particular in the last few years, we've seen because we've minimised the cost, people have taken up public transportation. Um, the cost, in many ways, I think parents who pay pay to actually get on the school bus. I think it's just about having the service there is the big thing for them. And there'll be changes in work practices, changes in criteria. Like bus airing will have to start employing bus drivers for over 70 years of age, which are working in every other bus sector in Ireland. Like that's a one change they'll have to have to make sure they have the people to run it. But I think it'll be a really good investment. And we all know the Monday or the Friday the school isn't running, how our town has just changed, the profile change, you don't have the, the actual traffic issues that you usually have when the actual school transportation system isn't working. And I think it's about trying to tighten up to make sure we actually get a good quality service but I think the parent and the family needs to be the main part here like the parents that go out to work or trying to go to work that don't have a service for their kids like that's what we're trying to you know work on we're trying to make sure that they have a continuity of a service so they can actually get a school bus from first year to sixth year and not be worrying every September to know when the school bus ticket comes. Yeah, it's it's, right. a, it's a crazy situation. And, and, you know, we do have a full uh, labour market. We need people to be available uh, for work. And, you know, over the years, we've heard of parents who've had to give up work. In many cases, it's the mother. Uh, we've heard of other mothers who've had to go part-time uh, because they've got to be available to get their children to and from school because they weren't able to get a seat on the bus. Yeah, and look, I'd say there's still 30, 40 or 50 people are in West Cork alone that failed to get in the school bus this year alone. And like that is like that is increasing every year. And it's the same pinch points because it's this criteria about the first nearest school, whether you're three point four kilometers away, all these criteria are tightening up the system and because of that people aren't getting on the school bus. Like basically we need to make sure that society changes. We're putting huge money into NTA to make sure public transportation links around Ireland are efficient so they can actually work. I think the same investment now needs to be put into the actual school bus transportation system. And I think we need to work on that system to make sure that the majority, if not all people, can get on the school bus. And we're not reinventing the wheel. If you go to other parts of the world, this is how they actually get their children to school, is the school bus transportation system. And I just think the benefits of it outweigh the costs. And I think we just need to really be conscious that we're in a different world here climate change is fierce important like we need to make sure that if you have 50 kids going to school on a bus 
that's more efficient than having 50 cars driving to the exact same school and having the chaos that you will have because of it. Okay, and do you believe it's possible to have a fit-for-purpose bus scheme in place for next September? I think the timelines are feels tight here. We're looking at a scenario that basically the school bus scheme will start advertising for places in February and usually close on the 20th of April. And I think for a school bus scheme to be drawn up and, and put in place in that space of time is going to be very, very tight. And that's why I've been calling on the Minister to actually announce what she's going to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because we just need to make sure what we're going to do next year. And I think when we had the report, report published, we all were jumping up in joy, but there's been no real recommendations going forward. What I don't want to see is have another two or three years look at this report before you put a fit to purpose scheme in place. Like, we need to see what's the pathway for change. And I fully understand the Minister can't change everything in the next three months. But she must give us a timeline. She must give us a pathway of what she believes are the things she's going to change and the timelines of when they're going to change. And if you're to start on anything, start on the barrier regarding the the distance for the schools. I think the distance for the schools in particular just needs to be looked at. We have people 100 metres outside the zone and can't get a school bus. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, and it's really frustrating on families who, as you say, child has been on the bus for many years and then suddenly because more uh, people needed buses in that area, suddenly they're kicked off the bus. Helen wants to know, is every special needs child entitled to free school transport? The only answer to that is simply yes, they are. Absolutely, and I think the issue that appears at times is to get suitable drivers to actually yeah. take, uh, especially kids to school, and they, there's no timeline. There's in other words, you don't have a scenario that you have to book your child in from February, and you know you get in the close of March. That scheme is open-ended. Yeah, and it doesn't matter how far or how far away you are from the school. I think it was something like 18,000 children with special needs uh, availed of that scheme uh, last uh, year. By the way, do you know why the review took so long? February 2021, that's only three years ago. Yeah, literally three years ago. Um, I have ideas, I don't know. I think there's always been resistance regarding school transportation um, side of the house. I think they're up there. The school transportation side of the house and the department never kind of sat, sat well together. Like, you know, school transportation is a slightly different issue than actually teaching kids in the school. So I often thought that it doesn't actually work well in the department. And I think that's kind of why it took this long. Obviously, COVID and everything else was thrown at me. But I fundamentally believe literally 33 or 34 months waiting for a report to be published. It was bizarre, to say the very, very least. And in particular, with the amount of pressure that was on the system. Like, I believe this is a huge issue. I think the parents that are affected, the students that are affected, it has a real knock-on implication for them, you know. So I just think there has been a long time waiting for this report and now we need to get the actual recommendations brought forward. Okay, okay, okay. we'll, we'll wait uh, to see the exact detail of the report. Just while I have you on the line, I saw, I spotted something came into my uh, inbox uh, before I came on air this morning uh, and coincidentally I had just been looking up about uh, Storm uh, Jocelyn because we had Alan O'Reilly of Carlo Weather join us first thing this morning just to warn people about this next storm that's going to hit us uh, this afternoon. You've raised a really interesting Interesting issue calling on the Minister Dow. This is the story of the Wad. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. 
so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. O'Brien to put in place a fund to allow local authorities across the country to carry out surveys to identify ash dieback, particularly in roadside uh, trees. We've got a huge issue with this and we would some that came down during Storm Aisha and unfortunately more will come down today with Storm Jocelyn. Yeah, I looked at trees yesterday in the Shannon, Balnadee that were literally rotten all the way through. When oh. you looked at the outside core, you think they're perfect trees mm. and they were literally ash dieback. And what we have is we have a major, major issue on the roadways. I fundamentally believe they're not safe at the moment because of the ash dieback disease that's infected the ash dieback plantations itself. The government put a scheme in place to deal with this when it came to the plantations. There's no scheme in place to put to look at the actual roadsides. And the roadsides to me are really, really dangerous at the moment. These trees are effectively dead. Some farmers don't know it. Some landowners don't know it. And it's not just the farming community. It's the, the landowners and the people who have houses where there's a tree. It literally is an accident waiting to happen. I saw three trees yesterday in the Shannon and rotten to the core, knocked by the wind. And if today's storm is going to come like it's going to come, you're going to have more trees fall up there. So I believe what two things need to happen here is money needs to be given to local authorities so they can survey the trees on the roadways and point out which ones are, have ash dieback and put a plan in place to remove them. And the other thing is, you can't expect the landowners to have the expensive job of taking down these trees. They've done it for the plant, plant uh, plantations. They need to do something now with a fund to help landowners and farmers deal with this dangerous threat that's out there. Yeah, but it's absolutely in the interest of road uh, safety. And sa- you know, sadly, we had three deaths uh, because of um, uh, Aisha and two of them were definitely related to fallen trees. Listen, Tim, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Good morning to you. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. Now it is that time of year again with closing dates looming for students who are planning to head on to third level education next September, October. So with the annual words of advice for this year's Leaving Cert students and indeed their parents who are more than likely listening to us this morning, I'm joined by our career guidance expert, that's Roisin Kelleher. Good morning to you, Roisin. Morning, Patricia. Oh, always a pleasure to, to speak with you. The 1st of February is always a big date, isn't it, when it comes to a yes. uh, closing date for CAO? Yes, it is, uh, because it is the, the the first of the closing dates for the higher education programmes, that is, the Level 8 courses, the, the Honour Degree programme is available in the universities. And, of course, now we have MTU as a university as well, formerly CIT. So oh, many of the institutes of technologies have become universities. So the CAO with the Level 8 would be the four-year programs. Now, some of those courses can be three years in duration as well, some of them, of course, of five. But they also have the level seven, the ordinary degrees, and the six, the certificates. So, they, yes, they like to get the entries in for those particular programs. No person can change their mind afterwards. It's very important to say that. But just important to say that the restricted courses, and the restricted courses are courses where there's something else besides just the entry appointments of the points and the entry courses. So that would be like the HPAT, or there might be portfolios, 
or there could be some kind of an, an extra assessment, an audition. So it's yeah, the music and the drama courses yes, have, have auditions. Yeah, in place yeah, okay. uh, in time. And then see if they can change their minds afterwards, but just to adhere to that. Now, all of that is set out very clearly on the websites that have improved enormously over the years. Brilliant. There's videos, there's everything out there to help students. And when that 1st of February date is also important for mature students because it's, it's become very popular for people to return to education. <laughs> So just to be mindful of that date and to use the opportunities and the personnel that are out there just too willing to to help and that's the way it should be. But of course nowadays there's more than the CAO. But just because a person applies for the CAO doesn't mean that they're excluding themselves from other options. They can apply for everything. So the post-leavenser courses, the apprenticeships, and very importantly this year, the new exciting programs, and what they did, uh, they, they, they were introduced last year, were the tertiary uh, degree programs. Now explain the that, tertiary programs to us. Yes, these, these are still very relatively new. So the students would apply to the post-leaving circle, the FE colleges, as, as would normally be, and that would be with an interview and an application. There's no points involved. Okay. And the first two years, they would spend we say in places like what we're doing in the past, College of Commerce, I know they call them Morrison Island Further Education Programs, but such colleges. They would spend their first two years there and then they would go on directly to the university or the course program they wish to pursue. Which, of course, one could say this is always what would have happened in the past mm. with the post-leaving their courses. And to a certain extent, it did. But there wasn't space for everybody. That is the problem. So with the tertiary programs, there are guaranteed places in place uh, if a student gets onto these programs. And the other thing is, when they are on those first two years, one year or two years, in, we'll say, a post-leaving cert college uh, institution, they have the same facilities as the third-level institute that they hope to uh, progress into. So they could use the library, they could use all of that but they don't have to pay the fees. So this is a really important departure. I would have to say to congratulate Minister Harris on introducing it. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's a great scheme and it's, it's one of the ones, you know, when every year we talk to you on the day that the Leaving Cert results come out or the day yes. that the first round office of the CAO, and I'm always conscious and aware that there are some people disappointed they didn't get the yeah. results that they, that they required for a particular course. And we're always saying to people, there are so many other routes to get you on your desired course. Great. That is wonderful, of course, the opportunities that are there in higher education. But it's important to say there are other options as well. So the students can put down all the options and then in the autumn have a choice as to which And that's what you would say uh, to parents and to students. You know, Mm -hmm. apply for everything and then it's so much better to have a choice rather than having to go down the one route of the one thing you applied for. And, and make it as wide as possible. Okay. And I suppose if I go for just in that regard, the, the new interest <clears throat> assessment that I have developed, it, it will give them the opportunity to see all the different interests. And just there before I came on on air with you this, this morning, Patricia, you know, the need for the drivers. They're one of the questions I ask on the interest assessment. Do you want to be a driver of any of the services that we need so much? So it's important that the right question is asked in order to get the right answer. 
So again, it's people wish to avail of that. It's on my website. But we can talk about that again later on. OK, and, and, let's, and let's not forget apprenticeships, um, Roisin. Uh, we, we, uh, there isn't a building site in the country no. or there isn't an industry that are telling you they are desperately looking for apprenticeships. Uh, absolutely. So the apprenticeships, and there's over 60 of them there. And may I say again, on the interest assessment, it's the first time when they answer the questions that they actually get a result with apprenticeship on it. And that should direct them and guide them and suggest to them, let's look at this possibility. For some people, they still have a very closed mind for apprenticeships. They still have this idea that it is only with particular, you know, in regards to particular, uh, particular programs. And it's much wider than that. All the traditional courses of carpenter, plumber, mechanic, these are enormously important courses. But in addition to that, there are the Level 8 programs in insurance and recruitment and all the upskilling programs. At this time, this country needs badly. Okay, yeah, and that colour vision eyesight test. uh, I know that's come up uh, before. People need to be aware of that. And that there is an appeal process. Yeah. So that was a very big issue last year. It was last year, yeah. Yeah. That with the apprenticeships, they must have a sponsor. Okay. That is somebody who will take you on to train you in the particular skill that the person wishes to obtain. And would you get details of a sponsor on apprenticeship.ie? Would they be sponsored? Yeah, they would, okay. You do. That That is on that website. It's a very good website and that is on it as well. But many will say you get the sponsors at local level. Yeah social media, through the Facebook, and calling on particular persons in business and asking them, would they be prepared to take you on? Yeah, go, na- go, go, go knock on the door, go face to face and, and go That's in and, and speak it. and speak to the owners of, of businesses. Yes. Now, we need to, we need to mention exactly the, to. we need to mention the DARE and the HERE applications. They're yes. important as well. Very, very important. And again, to get those in by the 1st of February, just to tick it on the form, the CAO form, and then they can submit the extra information, which is so important, by the 1st of March. So it is very important to have that. There are very many students that have a lot of anxiety issues. They still haven't recovered from that COVID and missing out on education. So there's quite a number of them stressed, even though we say there's great opportunities, and there are, but still there are underlying conditions and stresses that people have. There are financial restraints. There are situations where people are very concerned about accommodation in different locations. For mm. some, they find going to Dublin almost an impossibility. Yeah, but yeah. in case, you know, we have to leave it open. They may have relatives there. They may have contacts. So it has to be an open mind. So in that sense, it's very important also to avail of the SUSE grants and to be aware of the closing dates and to put in all the applications and to get help from people who are there to help you. Okay. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, help available uh, for sure. Um, and I have a friend of mine whose uh, daughter is training to be a vet, but she's over in Poland. She unfortunately could, couldn't get into uh, veterinary college here. Uh, and w- there's a lot of Irish students going abroad to study. Yes, certainly are. Um, the same would apply for medicine, of course and for dentistry. There's a huge shortage of dentists, yeah. pharmacists. There's any of those professions are in great demand. So very many students do consider uh, the UNICAS, that would be the European colleges, okay. and all they have to do is get on to all the W's dot, UNICAS, E-U-N-I-C-A-S, 
and they will get all the information they require with regard to that. And it's important to say that with regard to entry into the European colleges, they don't use points. They will set an exam for their entry. And, of course, it's a wonderful opportunity for for people. It's not for everyone, I have to say that. It's not for everybody because it also is demanding to adjust to another country. And even though, of course, the programmes are taught through English, nevertheless, there is an expectation that a person would learn the local language, wherever that would be. And, of course, there's a travelling back and forth uh, from that country back to here in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, it's as you say, it isn't, it is, it certainly isn't for, uh, no, for everyone. Okay. It's, it's, well, um, I think it's good uh, to so explore all the possibilities here. Of course, there still will be the situations for many that they may consider the UK, although that's not quite as popular because, of course, of the issue. Brexit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Has, has that affected the numbers travelling to the UK? It, it has. has. It has, it has yeah. yes. Okay. Because, of course, it's much more expensive. And also, it's the recognition also of the qualifications from a non-EU country. Mm. Mm, you have to bear that in mind. Okay, cao.ie. There's a lot of websites, but that's uh, that certainly is one that people need to be uh, visiting. Now, tell me about your own this um, interest uh, assessment that's on your own website, roshinkelleher.ie. Oh, I, I love to speak about this, of course. Go on. So, for the first time, we, I've developed an Irish interest assessment. That is, it explains about the choices of the jobs here in Ireland. So just as you say, even the drivers, the people in media, the builders, the photographers, the data analysts, the biomedical engineers. And my belief is that if you don't ask the right question, then how can you possibly expect the students to choose these particular careers if they're not asked in the first place? And also it's very important for the <coughs> excuse me, the subject choice. So the twenty four subjects that are available currently in the Leaving Cert programme. So for the first time they're all listed in this particular interest assessment. And students can choose one or the other and they can find out all the details about those particular subjects by going into the national curriculum, which is another link on the website. Well done, well done, because I, I, what I would like to think that it would avoid people applying for courses that they thought they were interested in and then they go ahead and they go to the course and they're halfway through the first year, oh, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. There's less chance of that happening. If they would do a questionnaire, they would ask them those questions. And so they would have the outcome of their levels of interest in eight major areas, the social, the science, the outdoor, the creative, the practical, including the engineering, the apprenticeships, the business and the IT. So there's less chance of people making an incorrect decision if they would take the time to do an interest assessment. And if you find a job doing something that you enjoy, it never feels like work, Roshin. Precisely. Like my job. Okay, well done, well done. (laughs) Listen, uh, your mind of information, we'll talk again in the coming uh, weeks, but thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. That is uh, Roshin Kelleher. Her website is www.roshinkelleher.ie. Particularly will point people towards that uh, if you want to complete the interest assessment on her website. But it is Thursday, the 1st of uh, February is the closing date for the normal applications for the uh, CAO for this year. But of course, there will be change of minds uh, and all of that coming up in the coming weeks and months. But 
I'm assuming all the young people are in busy at school studying so for the parents get on to them and make sure uh, if they haven't applied they need to be getting working by next Thursday the first Thursday week the 1st of February. Let me go straight into a lot of calls and comments coming into the programme. Can we start firstly though with what was the top story that Barry had from us at uh, 12 o'clock today and that is the news that the former Dominican retreat centre at Ennishmore in Mayfield will not now house Ukrainian refugees. Now, the Department of Integration has confirmed that it did receive an offer of what they say commercial accommodation for those fleeing the war in Ukraine, but they said they followed a full review. They took into account the needs across the overall accommodation portfolio. Not quite sure what that means, but they say the offer has now not been progressed because we've been mentioning all morning a protest got underway outside the retreat centre in uh, Mayfield when an email went out that uh, talks were progressing between the parties on the matter and it was stated in the email that the uh, it was described as being an, at an advanced stage and people assumed advanced stage meant that the Ukrainian refugees were about to move in but maybe now the advanced stage meant that they were looking at it and the department was saying no, this either wasn't suitable or for whatever reason they decided not to uh, use it. So Cork City Council have just clarified that position so it's not now going to be used to house refugees but we have had some commentary in about refugees because we've been running that piece on the news and we had some emails in earlier and John was on to us to say that he has Ukrainians living in a house that he's been renting out it's a family of uh, three uh, mother, father and a son. Now John says he gets paid 800 euro a month from the government in order to house this uh, family from Ukraine. He says the parents are up uh, early every morning and they go to work But John's issue is that the government are paying their rent even though both of the parents in this particular household are working. So he says they're getting their rent uh, for free and he says the government haven't advised him that anything is going to change or that they're going to stop paying uh, the rent. Yeah, and you would have thought that it would be whatever about a family coming and they weren't at work and didn't have any income you could understand why the government would be paying the rent but you would have assumed when people go out to work that it would then become means tested I know the way Ukrainians new arrivals the payment new arrivals are going to get is uh, going to change uh, but we there are pains the government are to point out that it's not for existing refugees from Ukraine they're already here which is at, at about 100,000 now I know all 100,000 are not getting accommodation from the state but yes uh, John that surprises me as well. I would have thought once they were out working them, you know, they give up obviously so their social welfare payments because ultimately they are means tested and the rent would go with it as well. Maybe it's just for a set period of time. I don't know. 0818103103 and then someone else is on about refugees. Why are the buses and coaches all full of young men? They should be back in their own country fighting. Remember the, the bus and coach loads of men that you are seeing uh, they're not necessarily from Ukraine they're from other countries who are here seeking uh, asylum uh, the government needs to meet with the communities and towns and villages up and down the island of Ireland but this is not happening Ireland is a small country it can only take so much well 
The the issue of the protest in uh, Mayfield last night, the, you know, the government meeting with the community there, they had nothing to meet with them about because they were only looking at the property to see would it be suitable for Ukrainian refugees. They've looked at it and it's not. If it had been deemed suitable, then they would obviously have engaged with the local community. But I suppose they can't do it before a decision is uh, made. And then Martin and Fomoy is reacting to Ray, who was listening to the protesters on the news. And he said that he was disgusted with the protests against housing Ukrainian refugees. And he said in his email, you know, what have we become? Where is our compassion? Where is our welcome? He said, it's shameful. These are vulnerable people who are willing to come to Ireland, integrate and work in this country and was quite annoyed to hear of anybody against housing Ukrainian refugees. And can I say there was a number of WhatsApps in from people who agreed with Ray, but Martin disagrees and says, does Ray actually know how many Irish homeless there are. But the Irish government will house these Ukrainians before our own people. Martin Infamoy says he's not racist. He knows what these Ukrainians have had to endure. But what about our own people, Ray, is Martin's comments this morning. 0818 103 103 and whether cash is king or not. And this uh, issue that is before the Cabinet today, where the Minister for Finance Uh, Michael McGrath is going to put legislation in place which is going to insist that supermarkets, convenience stores and pharmacies will have to take cash and it's going to be new laws and this is all down to a public consultation that went out on the national payments strategy that's currently underway and it's a new access to cash laws that are going to be introduced in this country. Dennis said, I went into a phone shop recently. I wanted to buy a new phone. The guy behind the counter, very, very friendly, set up the phone for me. Everything was hunky-dory and then it came to Dennis Pay took out his wallet and went to pay in cash and the guy in the shop said oh sorry we don't take cash we only take card then Dennis explained well I don't have a credit or debit card I only deal in cash and he said I'm really sorry I can't take your cash so he said after all the setting up of the phone getting everything done deciding on what phone he was going to do Dennis said I had to walk out cap in hand and leave the shop he said I went straight across the road there happened to be another phone shop and he said I walked in there he said my first question to the guy behind the counter was, do you take cash? And the person said yes and I ended up buying my phone from that shop instead. So businesses will lose out on those who who don't take cash. Now, I don't know whether a phone shop is going to fall in under this access to cash laws. We should have more uh, details on uh, this in the coming days, but I, I don't know if every single shop is going to be forced uh, to take cash. Somebody else, Patricia, pleased to hear you talk about the ATM machines and the fact that we should be able to have access to smaller denominations like withdrawing €10 Euro or uh, €20. Euro. I think that would be great. Also, I would le- like to see more indoor ATM machines for day and night use where you would feel safer withdrawing your cash. Also, if they were indoors, they're less likely to be interfered with. Margarita is enjoying the programme this morning and says, listening with interest, you're talking about places not accepting cash. You have to ask the question, what about some banks that don't deal in uh, cash? I know people still scratch their heads when they come across a bank that doesn't deal in cash. And I don't know if that's going to fall in, in under this access to cash laws or not, Marguerite. Only time will uh, tell. And then Billy says, 
What would happen if I went into that restaurant that Pat contacted you about this morning that only accepted credit cards? Billy says, what if I went in, sat down, ate my meal and enjoyed it and then went to pay and said, oh, sorry, I don't deal in credit or debit cards. I only have cash. Would they take the cash from me then? They'd hardly let me walk out with no payment. By the way, says Billy, I only deal in cash and I genuinely don't have a credit or a debit card. And John was on to say, I'm in that older brigade that people reference. And I actually take issue to the fact when people say that credit and debit card payments only affect older people. I use cards all the time. In fact, I never use cash. And the reason I don't use cash is I feel they can carry infections and viruses like COVID and other flus and things like that. So I don't deal in uh, cash. And there's a lot of older people, uh, John. But on the flip side of that, if you were to look at the proportions and the numbers of older people versus young people who only deal in cash, you will find predominantly more older people prefer to deal in cash, whereas predominantly more younger people prefer to deal with uh, card only payments but that doesn't mean that every older person only deals in cash and by the way as the government are finalising these access to cash laws we are going to be talking about this again tomorrow on the programme because independent all deputy from Kerry uh, Michael Healy Ray uh, will be joining us because he's he's talked about this issue as well and he'll be joining us tomorrow on the programme 0818 we had a query in yesterday about the television licence and in particular, we were talking about would there be, they're, they're looking at a universal charge, something like a household charge will be introduced where everyone is going to have to pay for the TV licence because the current system isn't working. They reckon there's about a 30% evasion of TV licences. So the plan, I think, is going to be if they hand it over to revenue, a little bit like the local property tax, they put in this household charge and let revenue go after everybody for the money. But that then prompted calls in from people to say, what about those that are currently exempt from paying a TV licence and they get a free TV licence every year? The over 70s, for example, people who have the household benefits package. Will that change in any way if there is a broadband levy, which again was on the table, or if there's some kind of a universal charge? So we contacted the Department of Media, saying with some of our listeners worried, could you please get back to us. So they did. They say high level discussions on the future funding of public service media are continuing, i.e. high level funding about television licence. However, as has previously been stated, a final decision will be made after the reports of the two independent expert advisory commissions, uh, committees which have been established by uh, Minister Catherine Martin. Two of them have been established. Uh, These are expected in late February. It would not be appropriate, they say, to go into details of any discussions to date are the options put forward by the technical working group until the government has completed its consideration on the matter. Provision already exists for free TV licences for most pensioners and the government will maintain this benefit. End of. So while the TV licence is in place, it will continue to be free, but we're going to have to wait for the expert advisory committees, all two of them, get their reports in, let the government look at it, let them decide what way we're going to pay for our TVs going forward and then the decision will be made on what will happen with old age pensioners who currently get their 
TV licence for free at the moment. Okay, and then on a completely different topic, do other parents want to throw your tuppence halfpenny worth on this? Patricia, I was wondering, why are parent-teacher meetings, why do they take place every year in the month of January? Are the schools for real? It's bad weather generally in the month of January and these late meetings, will the principals are, and these meetings are scheduled late, um, it's evening time, is it? Will the principals or the education minister, whoever make these decisions, Wake up for God's sake. It's not important to have it in January. I would assume the reason why it's January is that the young people go back to school in September and then they've done the longest term, you know, from September through to uh, Christmas. And I suppose they're they're leading in then. I mean, for leaving their students, they'll be getting very close to doing their pre's. So I suppose it's to give the teachers a chance to work out halfway through the academic year how the pupil is doing. I'm I'm doing. I mean, for example, you couldn't hold it in September, and it's a bit late to hold it in May or June when the schools are about to close. So I suppose it's the middle of the year. I I take it that's the reason. Anybody else agree? Disagree? Would you like to see parent teacher meetings move and not have them in uh, January? Also, another way. Could they not do them online, do it by a Zoom call instead rather than forcing parents to go to the school? Would that not be easier for the teachers as well? 0818-103-103. Lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. The Mallow Men's Shed, they meet every Tuesday, so they'll be meeting again today. They meet Wednesdays and Thursdays as well, two to five in the afternoons, and they're at the rear of La Kayla Family Centre on Fair Street. New members always welcome to come, come along and meet up with the men's shed. In Ascara Historical Society are hosting Sinead McSweeney, past pupil of Clarou National School that is on tonight in Dripsy National School starting at 8. Sinead will speak on guests who stayed at St Anne's Hydro Tower in Blarney. Non-members are welcome and admission is just €3. Uh, Euro. Shambhalimore Bingo tonight in Shambhalimore Community Hall. That's at 8. Jackpot €3,350. And Bantier Bingo also going ahead tonight. That's at half past eight. And Bantier Drama Group, they've postponed their play last weekend to next Sunday, the 28th of January. And that's, of course, last weekend we had the very bad weather. And a shout out for Cancer Connect. They're urgently looking for volunteers to drive an eight-seater bus from the Canturk area to Cork University Hospital and on to the Bon Secure Hospitals, bringing passengers for radiotherapy. Now, you'll be required as a volunteer to work one day per month. A normal car licence, that's a B licence, is sufficient. Call them if you're interested, 021-203-8525. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Just a couple more comments uh, in before we head to uh, Joe Heffernan. and here's an interesting one from Dan in Cork. Says, Hi Patricia, today I flew from uh, Cork Airport. I was speaking to a Nairintha staff member about the old airport terminal 
building. Dan says it's a massive building, well capable of housing between three or 4,000 asylum seekers. Why isn't this being looked at as an option by the government in the emergency that we're currently experiencing? People could be processed on site and either allowed to stay or just fly them back out of the country. It's dry and it's warm, very secure from the air side and it's easily managed. It seems like an ID location, in my opinion, says uh, Dan in Cork. Yeah, I wonder, has it been mentioned? Has it been looked at? Because we do know that the government are looking at building these, is it four large reception centres, kind of a little bit like what City West has now become in uh, Dublin, rather than facing all these problems that they're facing when local people start to protest if they hear that there's any uh, asylum seekers coming into their area and it's putting pressure, particularly on smaller rural areas. It's just putting pressure when there isn't, you know, enough GPs, when there's enough dentists, when there isn't enough school places. So if they go for larger reception centres, obviously closer to bigger urban areas where they would have the necessary infrastructure. So yeah, I haven't heard it mentioned, Dan, but it certainly doesn't sound like a bad idea. And then somebody else says, Patricia, I'm, I think I'm afraid the light has gone out in Ireland for the Irish people. The sister said they witnessed a man in the city in a wheelchair in a doorway. What have we uh, become? Actually, I was out in the city on Saturday. I uh, got a, managed to get a night away. Um, and we just went up to Cork for the night and I, I couldn't, yeah, and it was the, the start of Storm Aisha and it was miserable, miserable weather was. I just couldn't get over people in doorways, in sleeping bags and it just pelting down. It was just heartbreaking uh, to witness for sure. We do certainly have a housing uh, crisis and we do have rough, I know there's only a handful of rough sleepers, but there's one rough sleeper is one rough sleeper uh, too many. 0818103103 and then on cash is king and all of that. Listen to this and this happens and has happened to me. What if you go somewhere and for whatever reason the card machines are not working? Here's a voice note in on WhatsApp. Hello Patricia. Um, some of the shops in Mahem Point this morning are unable to take cards. So if you don't have cash, you can't shop in them. Yeah, I know. And that happened to me. Thank you for that. That happened to me recently. I went in and I normally always have cash on me. And the one day I didn't have cash, I flew into a shop for something that I needed. And as soon as I went in, there was a sign uh, saying that the card machines weren't working and I had to go away again. I was going, oh. But yeah, that does happen. And technology, technology, you know, anything can go wrong. And we've had power outages. And of course, if there's no electricity, then your machines are not going to uh, work. Can I, there was a very good text in that I wanted to clarify for somebody. Oh, this is from Eileen in Clan, seeing as we are talking about cash. Patricia, would you mind clarifying, please, the one cent rule in shops? I'm confused as to why shops don't give you back the correct change, especially when you pay in cash. It happened in a local store to my 11-year-old. She was due exactly one cent extra in change. Now, she'd done her maths, so she knew exactly how much her shopping was when she got up to the counter. But the shop worker said to her, we don't have any one cent coins. This actually left my granddaughter quite upset as she felt she'd been wronged and she'd been short changed. Could you clarify if shops have to give you the correct change for a cash transaction? Thanking you. And that's from Eileen in Clan. And actually, that's the rounding up and the rounding down. 
that doesn't happen with a card payment. With a card payment, your card is debited or credited with exactly the amount. So there's no rounding up or down. And rounding the cash transactions, it actually came in in 2015. I'm surprised that it's in that uh, long, which means that the total amount of the bill is rounded up or down to the nearest cent. Now, they say because it's to the nearest cent that it should work in that some sometimes you'll be paying a little bit more, but other times you'll be getting more back. So the idea is if the bill total has been paid in cash, the number of cents, if it doesn't end in a zero or a five, the amount changes. So one or two is rounded down to zero. If your cash total ends in three or four, it's rounded up to five. Six or seven is rounded down to five and eight or nine is rounded up to ten. That's basically uh, the way it works. But rounding is voluntary for retailers and for customers. The retailer can apply rounding automatically without asking you, but you can choose not to have rounding applied and you can ask for the exact change. Now, I'm thinking about the that listener's little uh, grandchild getting all upset. And, you know, in fairness to the shop assistant, if they didn't, if they don't have one cent coins in the till, they don't have one cent coins in the till. But what you could do, what you can do in an instance like that is you can hand in four cent to round it up to five and they can give you back a five cent coin. So you can insist. Now, I don't know how many people are going to argue at the desk about a one cent coin, but you are within your rights because it is voluntary for both retailers and for customers. Now, it's working extremely well, I think, for most people and most of us are glad to be getting rid of the one and two cent coins. I know I still have a jar at home that I keep meaning to bag off and get rid of because that's forever what I was doing was emptying my wallet of all the one and the two cent uh, coins. So I certainly like the idea of the rounding, but, you know, it doesn't work for everyone. But that's one of the things if you are paying by card, uh, there's no uh, rounding rounding up or down takes place. And then we've got the most gorgeous act of Kindness. Here's somebody going above and beyond. John and Drummahan was on to say last Sunday. Remember in the middle of storm, Aisha? John's wife was driving between Mitchellstown and Kilbehany in the height of the storm. Guess what happened to John's wife? She got a puncture. Now, she rang various people and various companies to see if anyone could come out, but nobody was available to come out at that time. So John's wife sitting in the car trying to work out what to do. Now, she says a man in a blue caddy van... That's the only detail we have passed. And then he did a kind of a turnaround. He did a U-turn and he came back to her. He obviously realised he was a woman, a damsel in distress. He opened the passenger side door and shouted over to her, are you OK? Is everything, can I help you? Now, John admitted and his wife admitted that she was quite upset at this at this time and explained what had happened. I've, I'm after getting a puncture. I'm not able to change the tyre up myself. I've asked people to come out and there's nobody available to come out and help. So what did this man in the blue caddy, caddy van? He parked up the car, jumped out. He didn't have a jacket or anything on him and he changed the tyre for John's wife. Now, John's wife tried to give him a bit of money to pay him. Absolutely, he said, no way. And he went about his merry way. So John has contacted us this morning because he would he'd love the idea that the man in the blue caddy van might be listening and he would really like to, to thank him. John's wife described him as a man in his 60s. But the only detail we have is a blue caddy van. But there was two dogs in the van. Does that fit the description of somebody you know? A blue caddy van with two dogs. And somebody must have arrived home absolutely soaked when he was out changing the tyre. Well done. That's a really, really nice, nice thing to do. And it shows what decent, nice 
people are still alive and well in this country. 0818103103. Let's take a break and we are back chatting with Joe Heflin after this. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. C103. And uh, Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Boherbui, uh, joining me uh, this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And we are hoping to stay nice and positive and assertive as yeah. we continue to rock through uh, twenty uh, twenty four. So we're going to we're looking at assertiveness uh, today. Yeah. So okay, firstly, describe to me what assertiveness is, because some people get confused about what assertiveness is. Okay, well, in a nutshell, um, assertiveness is being able to ask for what I want and being able to say no to what I don't want. Um, Now, the second one there, being able to say no to what I don't want, can take many forms. I mean, we can go for the little innocent white lie or whatever, whatever. It doesn't have to be if someone invites us to something that we just say no. I mean, that that wouldn't be... um, Maybe that would be ultra-assertive and, I mean, even approaching into... Um, aggressive. So being able to ask for what I want and being able to say no to what I don't want. That's that's basically... That's it in a a nutshell. But I suppose the the biggest one there for a lot of people, whatever about asking for what you want, a lot of people find it hard to say no. They do. They do. And that's because I suppose we all want to be liked. Yeah. Um, we all want to, um, you know, maintain acquaintances and indeed friendships. So that may, may make it a bit difficult saying no. But if we don't do that, especially people now like yourself in the um, in the public eye and um, say, you know, um, I, I suppose there are, I, I don't know, like, but I suppose there are requests coming in all the time to, to be here and to attend there and to be here. And, I mean, if you said yes to them all, or if one in a situation like that said yes to them all, um, they'd have no life at all. Yeah, yeah. They'd have no private life. So, uh, and in a lesser way then, um, if there's something that we find to be... Um, you know, uh, very stressful um, to be able to 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 nicely say no. Yeah, and I, I suppose yeah, it goes back to we all want to be liked, um, it, but it also you don't want to offend or upset somebody if you are going to say no to a particular request or you know somebody asking you to do something or to go uh, somewhere. But you're probably better off at the outset, particularly the white lie one. You're probably better off being honest about something because because what can often happen is the white lie can catch you out, and then you're you're feeling worse and you look worse because you lied about something. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, absolutely. I mean, whatever little bit of a white lie you're going to tell, make sure that it's foolproof. Uh, <laughs> you know that it's uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you say something like, uh, I can't do that because I'm going to such a place um, on uh, Monday, um, and then 
the person rings you answer the phone and you're actually at home oh I thought you were being oh my god I'm cringing even at the thought (laughs) yeah 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 so like I mean one would want to be careful but the bottom line is like that you are saying no to something that you just simply do not want to do Mm. um because um, in in our, uh, some people are, you know, some people are better at it than others. Um, uh, I, I, I wouldn't be wonderful at saying no. I'm, um, I'm really bad. I, I think as I'm getting older, I think I'm getting better. Right. But there there has been times in the past where I've agreed to something and I've literally come off the phone saying, why have I agreed to that? Why, what have I done now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then it's harder to back out. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So the thing is, like, to, um, uh, as you say, I'd agree with you, that as we get older, it's a bit easier um, uh, to say no, because um, I suppose in a way, like, um, we're not as susceptible to um, having everyone say that we're a great person, that, um, you know... That if they, if a person wants to be offended by a gentle no, I I wouldn't be able to do that. Well, then you know, um, would would that relationship um, be all that madly important to one anyway? Um, you know, I mean, if I ask someone to do something and they tell me, "Gee, I'd like to do that job, but I I just can't," um, I'll accept that. I mean. You know, I wouldn't be getting up in my high horse and saying to myself, they should have said yes. You know, mm. yeah. Okay, yeah. so so we so we want to talk about the, the the right way because assertiveness is it's neither aggressive nor passive. Because sometimes assertiveness, people can see it as, oh, you're very aggressive, and that's what it, that's what you've got to avoid doing. Absolutely, because I mean, we often talked um, about anger. And the three types, um, passive, aggressive, and assertive. Now, assertive is the one to go for. For example, if you were having a discussion with someone and they said something and you felt that that was um, harsh, there's a big difference in saying, I feel that's a bit harsh, as against you are being harsh. I mean, the first one, when you start, we, we'll call them I statements as against you statements. The first one starting with I, I feel that's a bit harsh. I mean, you're expressing how you feel. Most people will be able to hear that without being in any way offended. But you are being harsh there. That's an accusation. And, yeah. and that could kind of lead us into... And that straight territory. away gets the other person's back up. Exactly. And now you're exactly. into argument territory straight away. Yeah, yeah. So in a way, like assertiveness is the ability to express our feelings, both positive and negative, in an open, direct and honest way. And I, I, I should add in the word a respectful way. That, um, you know, if a person um, asks us to do something that we either can't or do not want to do, um, we are hardly just going to say no. 
Yeah, we had a couple of scenarios that kind of broke out over Christmas that weirdly enough were to do with the mother-in-laws. But one of them that I, I remembered was that uh, um, this daughter-in-law contacted us because her mother-in-law had recently retired and uh, had been working full-time. So the daughter-in-law and obviously the mother's son thought this is a great way for us to save money on childcare costs. So they asked the mother-in-law if she wouldn't mind two or three days a week looking after the kids so they could cut back on their childcare costs. And the mother-in-law straight away jumped in and said, forget it, kids. I've worked all my life. I've raised my own family. I want to enjoy my retirement. And she did say, look, I'm available for babysitting, but I don't want to take on the commitment of, you know, full-time childbinding two or three days uh, a week. And the daughter-in-law contacted us because she thought that the mother was being a little bit unreasonable. But, But I initially, when I read the email, I thought, and so did a lot of listeners saying, well done to the mother-in-law. She was very assertive in instantly getting her point across. Yes, rather than being in bad humour um, with her own husband, um, etc., and um, uh, being at home um, from whatever, half nine until five o'clock, uh, feeling aggrieved and put upon and thinking, God, um, I might as well be still working. Yeah, Um you know, people, when they retire, they surely um, are entitled to enjoy the fruits of their labour. Now, there was and there was a number of other grannies came forward and said they willingly do it and they love doing yeah. it, which is absolutely yeah. fine. But, yeah. I, but I just felt that this woman, you know, she put her points across. It wasn't just, no, I'm not doing it and walked away. She explained why. Wanted to take yeah. on new hobbies. Like, you know, I want the time for myself. So she, yeah. th- th- that was being assertive without being... It was being assertive. Without being mean. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And as you say, there are many, many uh, grandparents who are delighted to be minding their grandchildren. Um, no bother whatsoever. And when it's no bother, it's no bother. And granny and granddad say, yeah, we can do that. And that's great. But um, not to do it if you really, really, really don't want to do it. Yeah, that's being assertive. Yeah, yeah, because that's where that's where then resentment is resentment, as you uh, say, set in, and that's somebody not being assertive. They just agree because they're trying to people please. So, yes. you, so you mentioned it, it's the we're back again, and we've spoken about this many times. The I and the you statements when you are yeah. having discussions, it's I want to, it's I feel rather than what you've done. Exactly, exactly. Once you start with I feel, uh, you know, whatever, um, well, then you're on fairly safe ground because you're not, you're not pointing a finger literally. You're not starting with you. If you start with you, that can easily um, uh, lead to a row. Whereas if you start with I, well, I mean, you're, you're simply stating how you feel. And um, it would be, you know, uh, a bit extraordinary if a person couldn't hear that um, without uh, without having a row, you know. Mm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and then talk to me about what, what is fogging. Oh, fogging is when you're trying to make a point and where the person um, uh, engages with, um, yeah, what you correctly say is, is fogging. Um, if the person kind of laughs off what you were saying, even in a in a pseudo um, jovial way, um, uh, here you can't be serious, like you know. 
and then you have to repeat what you wanted to get across. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, 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 that's kind of funny. All right, but look, as I was saying, so you're back on then on track to what you wanted to say. Um, uh, if the person um, uh, re- reacts with, um, you know, uh, some kind of uh, deflection onto, and 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 you know, I saw you with the match last uh, Saturday, and and you you might say, um, I, indeed, I was there, but look, I I I need to talk to you about, and then you're back on track with. Um, mm. With, uh, what with you, what, what you the point you, you and then if it all gets out of hand and somebody's getting too angry, leave it there, diffuse it. Absolutely, to diffuse it is correct. Um, that's that's the word I would use to diffuse it. In other words, look, I know you're angry right now. Fair enough, but let's talk about this later. Um, I, I'll um, we'll 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 have a chat about it uh, later tonight. Um, uh, something like that. But um, there's no point in buying into the angry scene because if we buy into the angry scene, well, then, again, we're in an argument, we're in a row. There's aggression uh, rather than assertiveness, and that is not going to get us um, any kind of... um, it's not going to get us what we're trying it's a positive to... Outcome. A positive yeah. outcome. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll tell you what, we, we, we want to do an assertiveness test. We're not going to have a chance to do it this week because I don't want to run through it. What we'll do is we'll do it next week on the okay. programme and we'll continue on this theme. Have a wonderful week and uh, be nice and assertive in a nice way. <laughs> Thanks a million, Joe. Thanks, uh, Talk next Tuesday. That's Joe Heffernan. He runs a counselling practice in Boho Breeze. Number is 086 834 Just spotted a text in when we had the listener who was complaining about parent-teacher meetings and why they're always on in January when it's the worst of the weather. I'm assuming this listener probably is a parent-teacher meeting that she has to attend uh, today. Here's a great one from a Kilworth listener. Happy New Year. Many happy returns. Uh, my friend was uh, only on lately saying her son's first week back after Christmas holidays, she had a Zoom call about the Christmas exams and discussed how the exams went. And then going forward for the term, there were suggestions of what was going to happen. She was then told to email any concerns that she or her husband might might have going forward with regard to her son and if they needed to meet a teacher face to face there would be no problem at all but they could interact on Zoom or they could keep the emails going. This by the way is a school in Dublin. I thought it was great to have a Zoom call and also the option of the backup emails so that you could write to the teacher and the teacher could write back and send an email back with an update. They also sent on learning and uh, an update on learning and sites that might be helpful. For example Duolingo uh, you is a website you can use that help with languages. My friend passed on the information to me and my son is now using it and he's finding it brilliant with his French. And that's from a Kilworth listener to say that some schools do operate under the Zoom and they don't force parents to go in and physically meet with the teachers. Thank you for that. So that's where I'm going to leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul and Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to cmig.ie